Spirit, and as we seek your ways and keep our eyes on you, you do lead, you do direct, and you do enable us to walk in this world. But we come together today, Lord, to extol you. We want to extol you at all times. May your praise ever be on our lips. And may our soul boast in you alone. Let the humble hear and be glad. How we magnify your name, Lord. We extol your name. And when we seek you, Lord, you answer. You do deliver us from all our fears. So therefore, dear Lord, we look to you in hope and in confidence because you have taken away condemnation and shame. And we trust in the completed work of the cross and how we thank you, Lord, that you put our sins on your son. We are so grateful, Lord, that he took all our punishment. And so now, because of that, we are in right standing with you, Father God. We are known and loved by you, the creator of the universe. How we thank you that your eyes are on us and your ears are attentive to our cry. Lord, many of your children are walking through adversity right now, either through health challenges or loss or various trials that you said we would encounter in this world. But we know that you are near to us. You are near to the brokenhearted. Please, Lord, be the lifter of their heads. May they sense your comforting presence. We thank you for your provision of providing skilled medical staff. You have gifted them, Lord, for our good. And we thank you for allowing us to see your healing power at work as well. In Randy and David Pasqua and Cindy, Joshua Moyer, Walter Carter for Helen and Daphne, Lord. We acknowledge that you are always at work. Whether you let us have a vision or a glimpse of your power and glory or not. We can trust that you are always at work. Fitting all things into your good plan and purpose. And Lord, how this gives us hope that what we see with our physical eyes, Lord, is not the final word. Lord, often we are troubled and deeply concerned about our country and world events. But Lord, we pray now that our world leaders would humble themselves and seek your ways, as Meredith reminded us last week, Lord. And that we will continue to pray as you work behind the scenes, strengthening your people that you have in place in high positions and using ungodly leaders to still unfold your plan. We just entrust ourselves to you, our faithful creator. While we don't have power to influence in a great, to a great degree, Lord, may we, with your enabling, be your agents of change in our sphere of influence. Give us the initiative. Give us genuine concern for those around us that we would share truth, that we would invite others to come to wisdom's table where they will find wholeness, completeness. They will find their thirst quenched and their appetites truly satisfied, Lord. Give us initiative to invite those 
who need everybody who needs your wisdom to come to wisdom's table. Lord, may our vision be more an outward focus. May we look out to the world. And as we prepare for Vacation Bible School, Lord, we ask you to please be at work uh, in those in our community, perhaps those we cross paths with, that we would invite and that this VBS time would not just be merely for our children's edification, but for those around us, that we would have an outreach, a spirit of outreach. And may this be true in our Sunday school time and kids' worship, women's ministry, the men's ministry, Lord. May we not only seek these as opportunities to strengthen ourselves and our community of believers here, but Lord, help us to have an outward look and see these as opportunities to reach out and invite others in. Lord, just now, we ask, please give our ears the ability to hear more of what you have for us of wisdom, which we have learned is actually you yourself, that you offer to us. We want to turn from evil and do good. We want to keep our tongue from evil. We want you to put a guard over our mouth, Lord, and we want to seek your ways above our own. And Father, we, we acknowledge that in and of ourself, we cannot do this. So we just continue to trust and lean upon you that you would give us the enabling that we desire. We ask you to give Tim the words and give our hearts, uh, soften our hearts that we would receive what you have for us today. May we ask this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Before we dismiss the kids, there's one more um, point of prayer I want us to do together. Um, tomorrow afternoon, we'll have 25 students and five adults leave out of our church parking lot to go for five days to Edge Camp at the campus of Covenant College on Lookout Mountain. And I want to pray for that group. So I'm going to do something that may be difficult for our middle schoolers. <clears throat> if you are going on that camp, I want you to stand up. And that's adults and middle schoolers. Stand up. Thank you, Corbin, for the, being the only one. All right, there we go. Come on, come on, come on. All right, yep, we got AJ over here. We got a couple over here. So uh, we have uh, 25 students total going, five adults going. Obviously, some of them aren't here this morning. But if you would, join me in prayer. And uh, if there's somebody uh, close to you, if um, it's totally okay to put a hand on a shoulder to pray for them, we're going to pray for God's work in the lives of these young people uh, this week. Father, thank you for um, uh, each of these uh, families that have elected to send their kids on this important trip. Father, we pray that you would um, protect the group as they go. Um, uh, Father, for safety in travel um, up and around the Chattanooga area and back home on Friday. Um, God, I pray for uh, these kids to have a blast have fun, build relationships, build a new community of young people that are committed to you. Uh, but Father, more than anything, I pray that your word would be clear to them. I pray that your presence would be felt um, at this camp that um, our church is participating in, as well as one other local church in Dalton and a number of other churches um, from the region. Um, God, I pray you'll use the speaker, speak through him, Use our own small group leaders to speak words of truth and life to these kids. I pray that there will be new kids that will put their, uh, their faith in you for the first time, for new conversions, for your spirit to be working actively in young lives. 
um, but also, Father, for great encouragement, for encouragement from peers, encouragement from adults that love and care, and encouragement from your word and your spirit. And so, God, uh, bless this group and bless the time that they spend together this, um, this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, kids, you can now be dismissed to go to your time of worship upstairs. Some of our middle schoolers are, uh, we have a number of rising sixth graders that are participating in that camp, so they're kind of double dipping over the summer. They're both in kids' ministry and youth ministry for a couple more months, so I wanted to do that before they were dismissed. Thank you, though, for joining us. Happy Father's Day. Um, To the fathers, I pray that there is... um, Uh, an honoring, a celebration of fatherhood and family today, and uh, and I pray that that it's a special Sunday um, for those of you that have been given the high calling of being a father, and as a father, you represent um, God's authority, you represent uh, God's love towards your children and towards your your spouse, and so I pray for um, just a blessed day for all of you. A few announcements to make. There's a lot going on. Um, As I said, we have this camp leaves tomorrow. Be in prayer for them throughout the week, please. Um, next week, one week from today, begins our VBS program. Um, we would still love to have more people sign up to participate in that. We've got a number of kids already signed up. It's going to be a great week. Um, if you haven't signed up, um, your kids, grandkids, please do so. That's available through the Church Center app. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to your app store and search Church Center and you will find it. It's a general app that a number of churches use. But once you get the app, you'll see our church in there, and you can register for VBS within the app. Um, but please be in prayer, if you would, for, for that week and for the kids that will be participating. It's a great opportunity to invite friends, neighbors, acquaintances, coworkers, and, and their kids to join for that week as well. Um, and, and also next Sunday, as we start VBS, We are also going to be, uh, uh, next Sunday, um, uh, commissioning our Romanian team to go to Romania and also to Ukraine. And they'll be gone about two weeks, and um, uh, we'll have a number of them with us here next week. We'll bring them up on stage. We will um, lift up our hands to pray for them and pray for God to bless the ministry that they do as they lead a camp for, um, uh, for a number of Romanians from seven different churches Um, Romanian youth that are coming together to participate, and uh, our group is going to be leading and facilitating uh, that program. So be in prayer for them. Um, We have asked you to pray and support um, this team over the last um, couple of months as they uh, raise their funds to to participate in this trip. And we um, now are in a place where we're really encouraged with uh, two fundraisers last weekend. We had a spaghetti supper, which was um, I think about $2,000 that it raised. We had a car wash that was about $2,000 that we did last, uh, last weekend. And so that puts the, the total need left for that Romania trip at less than $3,000. And we're in striking distance. So we're, we're really encouraged with that. We're excited for the trip to, for the kids to be able to go and uh, use their gifts to serve, to serve the Lord well. Thank you for your support of that trip. Uh, I'm now going to show us uh, one more video. We've been playing these every week. Uh, highlighting the different members of the Romania team so that you can know them, see their faces, and know how to pray for and uh, support this team. So I'm Jacob. Uh, When I first heard about the mission trip, uh, I did want to go because it was going to be my second mission trip ever and my first time leaving the country. And uh, the thought of that 
you know, excited me, so. I'm so Beth. Whenever I first heard about it, I mean, it was exciting. I thought that would be super cool to go, especially because we know Emmanuel and, you know, I've never been out of the country either. So it was a, it sounded really cool and like something where we could be serving God and going and seeing the world too. So we're going to be helping with the kids camp, uh, partnering with some of the churches in Romania. Uh, and we're going to be helping with that. And after that, we're going to be uh, going to Ukraine and just helping however we can there. One of the things about the kids camp that kind of shocked me is that a lot of these people that we're going to be working at at the camp are going to be our age or even older than us. And we're expected to also lead them. So that's exciting and also like puts you out of your comfort zone a little bit. But I'm excited for that part. And then Ukraine also, I think we're putting on a camp there too for the youth that are there. So one way that you can pray for us, I think, is that uh, during the time there's going to be, you know, things that make it more difficult, whether it be the flight, you know, the time change is going to have us exhausted. Maybe it'll just be like, you know, a week and a half in and we're like, oh, this is, you know, I'm tired. But, we, you know, we only have two weeks and I think the best thing to pray for would be that during those two weeks we are the most effective, you know, servants of God that we can be. You know, that nothing, no difficulties would get in the way, because that's all the time we have there. And especially with that going across the border to Ukraine, you know, I'm sure that there can be a lot of things that hold you up there. Um, probably the biggest thing I would say to be praying for us with is, like I said, with working with the people that are our age and older, that we can be good role models to them, that we can really connect with them, not just, you know, like, like that we can have a lasting connection there, you know, and, and be able to help them in their relationship with God, but also that they can help us in our relationship with God. Turn myself on. Now I'm good. Um, that was Jacob and Sarah Beth. Um, and so now I think we've shown most of our Participants have been on video in the last few weeks highlighting um, just their excitement about the trip, um, their prayer requests. So please remember to uh, next Sunday um, be here to pray with us as we send that team out and then pray for them for the, the couple of weeks that follow. Um, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 10. As we go into the book of Proverbs again, this is where everything changes. And this is where I'm just going to have to ask you to just get your fingers ready to turn because um, we've spent a couple of months going through Proverbs 1 through 9. And as we go through Proverbs 1 through 9, we did it sequentially. The way we typically at this church go through books of the Bible, we call it expository preaching, where we pick a sermon series that's based around a book of the Bible. And we just go through it in order because all scripture is profitable and inspired by God and useful for teaching and correction and training in righteousness. And so for that reason, we typically, as we preach through books of the Bible, we just go in order. And this is one of the few times that you'll see me now diverge from that prophet from that normal process as we finish the book of Proverbs. Because 1 through 9 is basically, I've said it a number of times to you, this older man, wise sage, likely Solomon, the author of the book, who is speaking to his son about wisdom. And it's basically this discipleship guide for here's why wisdom is important, here's why you should pursue wisdom, here's why you should live in wisdom. 
In Proverbs 10, it changes. Proverbs 10, if you read Proverbs 1 through 9, you're like, okay, this paragraph holds together. It makes sense. He's making an argument. He's, he's using logic to move us in a direction. Choose either this path or choose this path. And then, if you've been reading through Proverbs, which I hope you have, and I hope you would continue to read Proverbs 1 all the way through 31, and, and read the whole book. But if you look at chapter 10, something changes. And it gets a little bit harder to read and trace the argument as it goes. Because what happens in chapter 10 is you have the real Proverbs start. Proverbs 1 through 9 is really just an introduction for encouraging you to pursue wisdom. But what we think of Proverbs as these short, pithy, practical statements of wisdom, that really comes, starts in Proverbs chapter 10. But as you read Proverbs chapter 10 through 30 you start to see that a lot of these things, you read one sentence, and the next sentence has nothing to do with the previous sentence. And then the next sentence has nothing to do with either of the previous sentences. And then you start reading it, and you're like, this is not a logical argument. This is not holding together in any sort of organization that I can see on my reading. So what gives? What is God wanting me to see out of the book of Proverbs here? And so the way we're going to approach chapters 10 through 30 is we're going to approach it topically. And we're going to pull together a number of statements that Solomon makes in Proverbs about these core issues. Because while there's not a pattern where chapter 10 talks about this one thing, there is a pattern where chapter 10 through 30 says a lot about the words that we speak and the way we use our tongues. Chapter 10 through 30 says a lot about work and the importance of hard work. Chapter 10 through 30 say a lot about the, um, the way that we uh, handle our relationships, forgiveness, those sort of things. All of those themes are there. The way we handle money, the way we, um, uh, the, the difficulty of, of laziness, all of those things are there. So for the next few sermons on Proverbs, what we're going to do is we're going to go through various Proverbs in a sermon. So today... I told you to turn to chapter 10 because it's next, and it's also where the most essential verses that we'll use today are there. But we're also going to not just stay in Proverbs 10. We've got a couple verses from 10, one from 12, one from 18, one from 17, one from 15, one from 16, because Proverbs is, is loosely organized from this point on. And at least if it is organized very strategically, I haven't figured it out. So that's just me, my confession there. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go all through the book of Proverbs and we're going to take a week to, to figure out what is Proverbs telling us about the way we use our words. And we're going to pull from nine different chapters to do that. And then next week we're going to look at what does Proverbs say about the importance of hard work. And we're going to pull from seven, eight, nine chapters to do that. And so what we're doing now is a thematic study of these different themes that are so important to living a life of wisdom. So happy Father's Day. Here we are on Father's Day looking at what Proverbs says to us about our words, the power of our words, the importance of using our words wisely, the, the need to take great care in our words. And if we think and reflect on the power of our words and the importance of Father's Day, um, probably each one of us can look back at this concept of fatherhood, look back on our memories of our own fathers or look back on our own relationship with our children and see the power of words. 
words spoken either in the positive or the negative have lasting effects on young people. And, and young people used very, very loosely, right? Words have lasting effects on, any, on anyone and on everyone. And so we honor fathers today, and we call fathers today. I, I want you fathers to be listening extra carefully today to see the power that your words have in your family, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, and how you can have a generational effect by the power of encouraging words, words used wisely, words used to honor Christ and to point others towards Christ. Or your words can have a very destructive effect. And so here's our task for this morning. We'll look at three different sections through the, what Proverbs says about our words. First, we'll see that our words reveal our hearts, the reflective power of our words. Second, we'll see that our words destroy the destructive power of our words. And finally, we'll see that our words can build the constructive power of our words. And throughout it all, we're going to look to Christ to guide us through it. Because if we're all honest with each other, every single one of us has destroyed with our words before, has torn down instead of built up. And there's power in that, power that needs repentance and needs reflection. So as we go through this journey, recognize that nobody's in trouble here, but this is about the power of God's Word and the work of the Spirit revealing to our hearts how our words have been used and misused and how we can together pursue something different that honors Christ, that, that builds up the people around us in our families and in our society, in our community. So, we'll start in Proverbs 10. But I'll say this too. As we reflect on the power of words, recognize you were created in God's image. And you were created in God's image by a God who created everything with his words. And God, with his words, he spoke things into being whether it was light and dark, the earth, the sea, the animals, or man himself. He spoke things into being, and God spoke and revealed himself through language, through words. He spoke with the first man. He spoke with the first woman. He spoke through his word and has left a rich history for us, relating to us who he is in his character, what matters to him, what he does, his love for us, his, his holiness and the importance of his law, all of that is contained in this book, which is made up of words. God cares about words. We care about words. You care about words because God cares about words. And God created you in his image. And God reveals himself through language. And God reveals the human heart through language. Proverbs 10, 18 and 19 the one who conceals hatred has lying lips. Whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So let's look at what this is saying about us and our hearts. What this verse is telling us is that you can only hide your feelings and your heart for so long. But eventually, 
those things that are on the inside that are rotting and are decaying, they come out, and they come out the mouth. And they may not come out the mouth with everybody, but they come out the mouth with those closest to us. And that right there is a challenge and a warning, okay? Because there's so much that we think and we feel that we want to restrain, we want to conceal, we want to, we feel this anger and this hatred towards a person or towards a group of people, and we try to restrain, and we think that's bad, we got, we got to hold it back. But what tends to happen is those things come up. Those things, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. That means the more words you use, the more you reveal your heart, the more you reveal your own brokenness. And so there is, actually, in Proverbs, there is a benefit towards restraining your lips to being prudent. But the first principle we need to see out of this is that, in verse 18, the one who conceals his hatred has lying lips, and whoever's utter slander is a fool. Recognize that what you feel in your heart, the depths of the sin of your own heart, of pride, of jealousy, of hatred, anger, whatever is there, it will come out. And it will come out your lips. And you may be able to restrain yourself in the workplace. You may be able to restrain yourself in public. You may be able to restrain yourself in the local church. But you probably don't restrain yourself as well with those that are closest to you. And so then who do angry words hurt the most? Those that are closest. Those words that we just feel like are bubbling up inside of us and we have to do something about. We have to get them out. The people that see us behind closed doors, the people that see us in the most intimate settings, they're the ones who suffer most for our words. And that is why it is prudent to not just restrain our lips, but also to to pursue rightness in our hearts. Because eventually what's in the heart comes out. Proverbs 12, 13 says it like this, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips but the righteous escapes from trouble. What that verse is telling us is that that ultimately, someone who is evil will reveal their evil by what? Their lips. But the righteous man needs not fear what comes out of his mouth, what comes out of his lips. He will escape trouble because he doesn't have to worry about shooting his mouth off and saying something dumb. Not because he's perfect, but because he has done the work to pursue Christ in his heart. Our words reveal our foolishness in Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. It's easy to think that wisdom is having the answer to every problem, that intelligence, that success in life means we should have answers, we should have opinions, we should know what we're talking about. Proverbs 18.13 tells us something actually different. Proverbs 18.13 says that the problem of foolishness is revealed in many words because those that use many words have this tendency of giving an answer before listening. If you're an expert on everything, it probably means you're a bad listener and you haven't actually taken the time to fully understand what somebody else's issue is, concern is, because you're so busy thinking about what you want to say. And so what what Solomon tells us, the man who had people travel miles and miles to hear from his wisdom. Think about this. 
Think about the stories of, of Solomon's life, where people, rulers of different areas, would come and travel to him and want to sit under him and say, Solomon, share your wisdom with us. Can you imagine when he would say things like this? Wisdom isn't about having a lot of words to say. Sometimes wisdom is about listening before speaking. Sometimes wisdom is about restraining lips and not just letting your mouth flow freely. Proverbs 17, 27 tells us that wisdom reveals our knowledge. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Again, wisdom is revealed not in many words, but in restraint of words. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. This is not pop, these are not popular virtues in our day. This is not what, what brings somebody to a point of leadership, to a point of authority. I read a story this week about um, Calvin Coolidge, one, one, a former president who's not, not much is known about him, um, in part because he was a man of very few words. A story, his wife, uh, Calvin Coolidge's wife would tell a story about his life in which there was a woman who sat next to him at a, at a dinner party, and everybody knew Calvin Coolidge was a man of few words and would not speak a lot, not a very social person, would always be listening to what other people are saying, processing slowly, and speaking as little as possible. And this woman sat next to him at a, at a dinner party and said, President Coolidge, I have a bet going with a friend, and I will win the bet if I get you to say three words in conversation to me this evening. And what does Calvin Coolidge do? The President of the United States, a man of few words, he looks at her and utters two words, you lose. <laughs> and Calvin Coolidge, in a, in, in a time long forgotten, believed that it was right as a leader, as a person of authority and wisdom to be a man of few words. That is not a virtue that is well appreciated in our day and in our culture, but it is what Scripture is telling us, that sometimes wisdom and sometimes knowledge is not about many words, but restraint of words. Because what, what 1727 tells us, what restraint of words shows is knowledge, number one, and also a cool spirit. When you can restrain your words, it means your spirit is level. It means your trust in God is secure. It means that your heart is in the right place. So again, this is still the first point of our, of our message for today, that our words reveal our hearts. It's what, what's going on inside flows outside through the mouth. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's the way Jesus would say it. It's consistent. Jesus read Proverbs. Jesus knew what Proverbs said. Jesus is the fullest demonstration, the fullest manifestation of God's wisdom for us in human form. Wisdom put on human flesh in the person of Christ to lead us and to show us what wise living is all about. This is not just something that works in the church. It works in life. It works in the workplace. It works in the family. It works in society. Sometimes maturity and wisdom is restraining our words, listening well, and making sure that we are speaking out of a calm spirit, out of a, a mature heart that has embraced God and listens well to others so that we can speak in wisdom and understanding. Proverbs 15.1 builds on this like in this way. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath while a harsh word stirs up anger. 
Restraint of words. Care with our words. This is what honors God. This is what shows a mature heart. Our second section for today, though, is about the power of words, the destructive power. And this is a tough one. Because words, you know, the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And, but if you've lived long enough, you've learned that those wounds from words last, lot, last, a, last a lot longer than the wounds that sticks and stones may leave on you. And if you haven't felt it in your own life, there's been somebody that you've loved, that you've watched as they grow, and they can't overcome the, the cruel words that were spoken to them, the harsh words that wounded them, that cut them. Well, Solomon knows that too. God knows that. Proverbs 12, 18 speaks of the power to wound. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. It's Proverbs 12, 18. So the, our words have the power to wound people, to cut people. Think about the damage that a sword would do. A sword cuts, and it is damage that can't just be immediately remedied. You pull the sword out, the wound, the wound remains. That is the power of our words. So many of us approach our words as if we can just say what we want, and then if we cross a line with our words, we can just take it back. But that's not how a sword fight works. And Solomon is comparing your words not to a pillow across the face that you can just say, my bad, no harm done. But Solomon, Proverbs 12, 18 says, your words are like a sword. And you can't just pull it back and not expect that wound to remain. Many of us approach our words as if when we're upset, when we're frustrated, we just need to release our words. We just need to speak. We just need to, to let those things go. But sometimes when we need to just vent a little bit, that venting results in sword wounds, results in thrusts into the heart and into the mind of those that we love the most. Parents, fathers, this is something that we have to be careful of. Because what we do with our children is the pattern that they learn for their words. And so when we as, as fathers and we as parents are cruel, angry, cutting with our words, don't be surprised when your kids cut back and cut each other and cut their peers and one day um, cut those around them, cut their own families with their words. Parents, what we what we show our kids is the pattern that they learn. But also, what we permit in our kids. When we turn a blind eye to those words that are spoken to one another, or spoken to authority figures that are cutting, that are harsh, we can't just turn a blind eye because what we permit, we accidentally promote as well. So this is our challenge as parents, to not allow wounds... Or, from words within our household, to walk with wisdom in those areas, because it's not just the power to wound. This is bad enough. Proverbs 12, 18 is bad enough. The next one is worse. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. 
So it's bad enough to say that the tongue, that our words can wound somebody and leave lasting wounds. This tells us it's not just wounds. Tongue, the tongue, our words, have the power to kill, to destroy. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Time, we think that we, you, you've heard it said, time will heal all wounds. That is not true. Time leads to infection. Time leads to wounds festering, getting worse. And sometimes, sword wounds in the heart and mind of a person who has been wounded by somebody else's tongue will ultimately lead to death. There's a lot of people that have been talking recently over the last year or so about what they call this epidemic of mental health within young people of our day. Now, we just prayed for 25 middle schoolers to go um, to a camp this week. As you pray for them, remember the fact that we live in an age in which our teenagers and preteens are not doing well. Just as a, as a society, as an American society, we live in an age in which those in that age range, let's call it 10 to 18, because teenage years are starting earlier and earlier, so we'll count those preteens in there too. They're unhappy. They're dissatisfied in life. They're walking wounded. Why? Well, there, there's lots of factors. Parenting is a factor. Family life is a factor. Social media is a factor. The, the, the schools are, are factors where you send people that are broken into the same room together and everybody tends to get more broken as they hurt and wound each other. And we as a church have to do something about it. We as a church need to focus on this group and say, we're not here to wound, we're here to heal. Because here's the great news, okay? The, the power of death is in the tongue, but so is the power of life. And so what happens with, with teenagers and preteens in our society is words get spoken Sometimes harmful words spoken directly to a person. Sometimes words that happen on a screen somewhere. Uh, communication online. Things that are posted. Laughs. Um, things that, that are said about a person behind their back or online or whatever it is. And then everybody is left feeling, am I enough? Am I good enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I strong enough? Am I smart enough? Those words, they fester and they wound, and they are destroying a generation right now. And if we don't recognize the power of words to destroy, we will not recognize the necessity of words to build and to heal. Proverbs 10.11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. One of the things that we pattern to our kids, that we pattern to the next generation as a whole, is who we surround ourselves with. Who we invest our lives in, who we call our friends and our peers, those peers have an effect on us as adults, and they will also have an effect on our kids as well. So when we surround ourselves by those with mouths of violence, when we surround ourselves that with people that communicate with biting and cutting words. We show our kids that that's, that's okay, that that's just the way of life. 
And so it's not just the words that we use with our children, with our families. It's the words that we permit, that we allow others to use and to pattern in front of the next generation. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John says of Jesus, he is the Word. In the, in the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then the Word chose to dwell among us. The power of words is centered in the person of Jesus. The ultimate message from God, the ultimate revelation from God. And so when we see that the mouth, that the tongue, that our words have this power to destroy, to kill, to mangle, and to wound, then we respond in saying, the way of Jesus is different. Because the Jesus way would call us to words of life, to find him as a fountain of life. Doesn't mean we don't speak the truth. Doesn't mean we don't speak hard truths. We must tell the truth to our generation and to the next generation and to the world around us. But we speak the truth as a fountain of life. Turn from your wicked ways, not because you're terrible and awful. Turn from your wicked ways because so once was I, wicked and sinful. And I've found life, and that life and life abundant is available to you as well. There is a way to use words as a fountain of life, and that's our next section, Proverbs 13, 3. Our words build this is the constructive power of life. Proverbs 13, 3, Proverbs 10, 21, Proverbs 12, 25, Proverbs 15, 4. Those are the four we're going to. Our words build. They preserve life in Proverbs 13, 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves life. He who opens his wide his lips comes to ruin. Guard your mouth. Watch your tongue. Restrain your words and see life. See life abundant around you. Proverbs 10.21 tells us that our words feed and give life in that way. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Here's how important our words are to us. Try to go without words. Take a, take a vow of silence. I'm not telling you to be a monk and take a vow of silence, but try it. You don't have to do 40 days. Try it for a day. See how hard it is to live for a day without having your opinion known, without having your preferences known, without having your heart known and be accepted or, or loved by somebody else. Go a day and see what happens. What you will notice is that our words reveal our hearts, our words reveal ourselves. To speak and to be listened to is to be known. To speak and to be heard is to be loved. We love people with our ears by listening, caring, hearing what they have to say, hearing their opinions. And if you don't believe me, then try a day without it. Try a day without speaking, without communicating with anyone. And you can see how our words connect relationships, connect love from one person to another. The silent treatment is one of the cruelest tactics we can use against another person to just say, I will not speak to you. Because saying, I will not speak to you, is saying, I do not 
care about you. I do not care about your words. I don't want to hear your words. And you do not any longer have the right to hear my words. It's dehumanizing. We were created in the image of God to love words and to use words for the sake of relationship. Think about those long conversations you've had with a loved one, with a best friend. Think about how life-giving those are to just sit and talk and sit and laugh, even when it's about nothing, because we connect through words. We feed off of words. Words give us life. Words give us energy. And if we miss it, we die from lack of sense. That's what Proverbs 10.21 tells us. Proverbs 12.25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, and a good word makes him glad. We've, as we've uh, re-embraced the Sunday school hour over the last few weeks, and we've really encouraged you, I mean, come at 9.15, and there's multiple different options for you to connect with youth, kids, adults. Um, as we were in our prayer time this morning in the prayer room, um, as, as we were praying as a group, which there's so much, such beauty in praying together, this corporate prayer that we can pursue together. What I prayed is that as we would leave that prayer room, that God would give us wisdom to know how to use a good word to make someone glad in this room today. Here's, here's a simple mistake that every single one of us can make. You could make the mistake of thinking that you come to church for you. Of thinking that you come to church so that you can have a personal, intimate experience through the words, through prayer, through songs, through the Bible, through listening to me. You think that, that you're going to come in and have an intimate, personal experience that's yours and yours alone. That would be a mistake. Because you can do that at home by yourself. And many have noticed that. And that's why church attendance in our country is dropping because we've, we've taught people that church is about you and church is about an intimate experience that you personally have. It's not what church is about. There's an importance in coming together. There's an importance in gathering together in the same room with other people struggling with the same things, facing the same anxieties, trying to survive in the same world and culture, worshiping the same God, Loving the same Savior who has made us righteous and given us life. And in that society, the culture, the community of the church, everyone in this room occasionally walks into this room with anxiety weighing their hearts down and needing a good word to make him or her glad. This verse is true of every one of us. So that's our goal. Use a good word this morning to make someone else glad. Do not depend on me to say all the good words. I will mess that up. I can't be the only one that sees this verse and says, when we gather as a church, we need to give good words to make people glad. I'll miss it sometimes. That's a role for all of us. Use a good word in a short conversation, in a greeting, to make another person glad. Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So what we've seen in just the constructive power of our words is that our words preserve life, our words feed, our words encourage, 
And now our words bring life to others. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, and perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 18.21, which we've already read, but we'll state again, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. We've had a number of men in our church over the last few years go through this discipleship curriculum that has been so profitable and so useful. I've been through it twice. We have a number of men that have been through it. It's called Every Man a Warrior. This is one of the verses that um, men memorize as they go through Every Man a Warrior, and they apply it specifically to their families and specifically to parenting. And here is what one of the principles of parenting that Every Man a Warrior teaches our men that go through that, that curriculum that the words spoken to a child determine his or her destiny. That's the rewording of Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That means that you, in your words to your children, determine their destiny through your love, support, your words of life, or through your criticism, your anger, and your words of death. You set your kids on a trajectory for the rest of their life through the power of your words. Now, ultimately, the, the life of a child isn't fully the responsibility of the parent. But no parents, that the role that you have, the influence you have in the younger years and into adulthood, it doesn't just end when they go to college, but the influence you have over the long term in the life of a child continues to shape that child. Take that influence Take that opportunity wisely to point your children towards life because the mouth is a fountain of life for the righteous and the tongue of the wise brings healing. And so brothers and sisters, here's, here's where we are. We've recognized we have a problem. We have a problem, and you can just look outside, look at the society, we can see we have a problem with sinfulness. We have a problem with people that don't pursue God. We have a problem with people that are hurting, people that are in pain, people that have experienced trauma. Some of that trauma has come in specifically from words. There's all sorts of problems. We could name them all. We could take all day naming all the problems. They're there. And what do we do? What's our role? What's our opportunity? Jesus commissions his followers to go into all the world and use words. He doesn't just say, go into all the world and serve, but serving's important. He doesn't just say, go into the world and start churches, but they did. He says, go into the world and speak. Go into the world and proclaim. Go into the world and make disciples by speaking the words of the truth of the gospel. And as you teach them, you're teaching them to follow and obey all that Jesus has commanded. You do not teach, you do not proclaim, you do not preach without words. We are people of words. Christians, we are people's, people of the word. Jesus is the word, the ultimate revelation from God. The Bible is the word of God. And we are people of the word, yes. But now we're also people of words. We've been entrusted with certain words to give to others, to give to those around us, to give to the nations. And so the reason that 
that we belabor the point before the service in these announcements of telling you what's going on through the life of the churches. Here's the opportunities we have. We have 25 middle school students that need words of life this week. And then we have 60 Romanian students that in a couple weeks, they need words of life. And I don't know, 20 Ukrainian students that need words of life. They don't need words of death. They got plenty of those. You can find words of death anywhere, but it's only here, in Jesus, in Christ's community, where broken sinners recognize, I don't have the wisdom to live my life on my own. I don't have the answers. I'm going to restrain my lips because I'm not as smart as I think I am. And I, in my own actions and my own wisdom, have only manufactured sin for myself. But Jesus died for me. And through the repentance of recognizing that Jesus has saved me from myself, from my own sin, I can come to the cross and repent of my sin, receive the life that he offers, and be made new. Be made new in his name. Repent, believe, and receive the new life of Jesus. So what can we do as a group of of people, of, of followers of Jesus who have been redeemed by the cross. We repent of our harsh words. And this is for everybody. This is for me. Because I can't stand up here and say, my words are always words of life. I know how to use words of death. I'm kind of good at it. I scare myself how good I am at it. And I have to repent of that too. I have to repent of my, of my biting criticism of my anger, of my, uh, of my uh, lack of patience with others, of my frustration with my own children, I have to repent of that too. And so do you. And you know what? You know what happens though when you do that? When you go to someone and you say, I know I have hurt you with my words. I know I have cut you like a sword with my words. There's even more life that comes. There's even more life that comes when you can say, I'm a broken sinner, and Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has shown me that I've wounded you, that I've hurt you, that I've been pushing you towards death. Will you forgive me as Christ has forgiven me so that we can pursue life together? Now, what makes that hard is that most people you've wounded with your words have wounded you back. So you go with that repentance not knowing what they're going to say, not knowing how they're going to receive it not knowing if they're going to continue to feel justified in using their words against you to hurt and wound you. But you do it anyway, because it's what Christ is calling us to. And as we repent of our words of death to others, we also use words of life to build. We repent, and we build. We encourage. We encourage other people. Read through the book of Acts, just when you have time. Read through Proverbs, read through Acts. Neither one are that long. It's okay. Read through Acts and just trace the life of Barnabas. And notice that Barnabas is one of the most essential, forgotten figures in all of the New Testament. And then I want you to look closely at what happened to Paul. Do you remember Paul, the guy that wrote 13 books of the New Testament? The guy that was this influential apostle? Do you remember what happened when the the leaders of the early church in Jerusalem rejected him because he was a liar. He persecuted Christians. Nobody trusted him. 
13 years, 13 years post-conversion, he was not in ministry. Did you know that? 13 years. And you know who made the change? This guy named Barnabas, whose name was actually Joseph, but the disciples called him Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. Because Barnabas was a man who was renamed by the believers in Jesus because of his gift of using words of life. And he grabbed Paul. He went and found Paul. He traveled to find Paul, to encourage him, to mentor him. And it was only because Barnabas brought Paul back to the disciples that the disciples received him. Not on the basis of Paul's character or Paul's reputation, but because Barnabas risked his own reputation for the sake of Paul. And that's a man that deserves the title of son of encouragement. Think about what you can build with your words and with your life. So we repent, we build, and we proclaim. We're going to go to the Lord's table. And as we go to the Lord's table, remember that what we do when we gather together, what we do when we break bread and when we take this juice, is we proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of our King, of our Savior, of the leader of our movement. And as we proclaim that, we do it today. We proclaim it with our mouths and with our stomachs as we ingest the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. But the rest of the day, after we receive God's broken body and shed blood, we now go out and we have words. And we have words with power that we can use to give life. And we can choose life over death with our words and proclaim the gospel that says, Jesus the Son of God, came from heaven to earth as a man for me and for you and for every nation, tongue, and tribe to have the offer of salvation through repentance of our sin, acceptance of who he is. We receive that Jesus is our Lord. So we repent, we build, and we proclaim. We recognize the power of our words in each of those tasks. Will the men that are serving communion come and join me up front? And I'll walk you through how we do this. The band's going to lead us in um, another song. And these guys, we're going to pass out the elements to you. Uh, they're going to come down the aisles. They're going to bring the bread first. And then they're going to come back. You're just going to hold the bread. They're going to come back and they're going to bring you the juice. And then when the song concludes, we're going to receive both the bread and the juice together as a way of celebrating what Jesus has done to forgive us of our sins. And so as we sing, as we wait, this is a time to prepare our hearts to move in repentance and to recognize this is a family meal. This is for those that have received Jesus, repented, and already had the body and blood of Jesus attributed to us. If you're not in that place, I'd encourage you not to receive the supper. But then instead, come and talk to me, either during or afterwards. And we'll see, we'll have a conversation together about what it takes to be at a place of peace with God and receive the broken body and shed blood together.